Can we have the first slide, Hannah? Give me just a second and we will get that right. Okay, wonderful. Well, it's almost time for the 4th of July. And if you're anything like me, you are super excited for one of your favorite holidays. I'm super patriotic and love the 4th of July. And so uh, to keep with Juleen's leading and also to be festive for the 4th, we have our good friend, old George here, both on the wall and uh, in bust form to join us this evening. And uh, make sure that you drop a comment in the um, chat box. Let us know your name and where you're tuning in from tonight. Um, so once again, I'm Tyler Ota. I am the Virginia State Liaison for Moms for America. And I will be teaching you tonight the law of the harvest, which is the lesson 11 of our cottage meeting. Uh, can we have the next slide, Hannah? Okay, so on the left here is my beautiful family and they are super cute, but don't let that fool you. They definitely give me a run for my money. Um, and on the right hand side is uh, my dear friend, Elizabeth McCauley. She helps me run our group here in Northern Virginia. I should let you know I'm from Northern Virginia in Fairfax County. And um, I started a mom's group before I uh, ever knew about Moms for America. And so for the last three years since about COVID uh, started, we have been meeting regularly and working together here in our community. And this photo is a really special one for me because we had worked so hard here in Virginia to get Governor Youngkin elected and our group had, had done many things. And that very day I had actually worked the polls for half a day. I had you know, all these babies to take care of. So I can only get away for half of a day, but we worked the polls that day and she called me up and she said, Hey, they're having a watch party. Do you want to come? And I was exhausted. And I, I was, you know, just not sure if I wanted to do it. And she said, come on, we worked so hard. Let's go. And so we went and we just had a blast and it was so much fun and so worth it. And what a great way to um, just celebrate all of our hard work. So this picture, I just love it. And um, that's a little bit about what we do here in Northern Virginia. I'll share my contact information at the end of this slide. If anyone's interested in signing up for our Patriots Digest, we, Elizabeth and I put it out two times a week. Um, it's full of opportunities and uh, points of interest um events inspiration quotes bible verses all sorts of good stuff and we try to make it sort of a one-stop shop for um, anyone who's interested in getting involved um, in their communities to make a difference so um, i will i will share my contact information with you at the end um, we can have that next slide hannah hannah is joining us from is it uh did i hear you say seattle or washington oregon oregon sorry Oregon. Um, Oops. That jumped up. There we go. So here's my oldest daughter. She was two and a half in this little video. And I believe Kayla Jackson, Juleen's daughter, um, taught one of the classes about um, learning the Constitution. And she mentioned the preamble and how that helped her as a child to learn the preamble of the Constitution. And uh, my daughter here learned it at two and a half. And so I'm just going to show you this brief video to show you that it really does work when you teach your children at a young age, these um, really basic things, they soak it up so quick. So here she is in her glory doing the preamble. <laughs> okay, nice. Okay, check. Uh, 
the order to fall from a perfect union. share it because I'm a proud mom and a little biased, but also because it proves the point that as Kayla mentioned, you know, when you teach your children these things early, they will, they will learn. Uh, so we can go ahead to the next slide, Hannah. Um, so we're going to start tonight off with a Bible verse, uh, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So, um, I should, I should, let me back up and say there was another video that I was potentially going to show you, which I didn't, but it's in our library on our website, momsforamerica.us, and it's Kimberly Fletcher, our president, and she's talking about, she's telling a story about a farmer who needed to hire um, a hired hand, and during that time that he was searching for one, it was like tough to find help, and so he ended up settling on one, and he asked him, like, you know, are you, are you good at this? Do you know all the skills? Are you going to be able to like handle everything? And are you, are you, are you going to be good for me? <laughs> and he says, yes, I can sleep when the cold wind blows. And so the farmer was not really sure what he meant by that, but he said, okay, well, you know, I don't really have any other options. So welcome aboard. And so sure enough, uh, uh, he started working with him and everything was going well. And then all of a sudden one night, uh, a bad storm came up. And the farmer woke up and he was worried about the animals and was everything put up and did they have everything secure and put away. And so he went to run to find the, the hired hand and um, the hired hand was still sleeping through the storm. And he wakes up and up and he says, well, what are you doing? We have a storm. I, I need you to do everything. And he said, well, I've already done it all. I told you I can sleep. I can sleep when the cold wind blows. And so the farmer then understood what he meant and was very thankful that he had hired such a responsible, uh, such a responsible person. But the question for us becomes, will we be able to sleep? or rest when the hard times come, will we be able to sleep when the cold wind blows? And so I think for a lot of us, COVID was really um, a wake up call and let us know that we need to be prepared. And that's totally a biblical statement. And so this uh, Bible verse that we went to on the slide there um, kind of reinforces that and also shows us that, you know, God wants us to work. He wants us to provide for our families and that that is part of his plan for our lives. Um, and our government works against families and goes against God when it makes policies that encourage dependence instead of independence. So uh, we'll go on to the next slide, uh, please. And I'll share with you the purpose of tonight's lesson um, just to guide us in, in our lesson tonight. 
this purpose can be found in your cottage meaning manual. So we have the older version here. Some of you may have this. I love this version because I first came on board with this version, but we also have a newer version, um, which is on our website now, which looks like this, which is a very pretty color, I must say. It goes with our logo. Um, so if you if you get the guide, you will see this exact purpose laid out for this lesson. Um, but the purpose of today's lesson is to introduce the concept of self-reliance, a key element in securing liberty. Our founders and their families embrace this principle, which basically means that you provide for yourself and your family and then generously help others when you can. Government dependency was something that our founders were not only very opposed to, but they also fought against it. And they recognized that government, government dependency comes with a price, loss of freedom, and it also leads to tyranny and oppression. Um, let's do the next slide, please, Hannah. So as Thomas Jefferson said, uh, a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take away everything that you have. And how true are those words? And didn't we see that firsthand a few years ago when we weren't even able to go to, to church in the name of, of COVID? Um, the more that we rely on government, the more we put ourselves and our families in danger of suffering if the government cannot or does not deliver the things that we have come to count on. The stories, quotes, and resources included with this presentation focus on the key elements of self-reliance and how our families can become less dependent, more prepared, and reach a place where we are self-sufficient and can help others in need. Remember, strong families create strong societies. Uh, let's see that next slide, Hannah. So, of course, we can always turn to the Bible and see what God has to say about these matters. Um, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 5, he says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Genesis 3, 19 says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And I especially like this one, Ecclesiastes 5.19, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So obviously I didn't go through every verse here on the list, but imagine if you were having your own cottage meeting you could split up the verses among the ladies in the room and each take a turn sharing one of these um, verses with them. And feel free to um, take a screenshot of these if you'd like to look up the rest of them um, after class. And uh, Hannah, if we can have the next slide, please. So then the next portion that we're coming to here is about the Pilgrim's Experiment, which is quite a large story in the Cottage Manual. And basically, the, over, the, the overview of the, the story is to compare the Jamestown, uh, which is here in Virginia, about three hours south of me, um, and the colony of Plymouth in Massachusetts, and how they differed from each other in that Jamestown did suffer a, a starving time, and um, Plymouth also had a, a tough time as well. But they were a very successful colony because they realized quickly that what they were doing was essentially Christian communism, and they decided that they needed to um, uh, 
to promote human energy and to get people motivated to work by giving them their own land to work and to do with what they wanted to do. So it was drawing the comparison between the two. And um, I, I do wanna also mention that there uh, on April 26th, there was a re rededication of America that happened at Cape Henry, which is um, very close to Jamestown where the first landing happened over 400 years ago now. And they actually dedicated the country there to God. It was Robert Reverend, Re, Reverend Robert Hunt that um, said the prayer and you can still look it up and find it. It's a beautiful prayer where they dedicate America to God. I also happened upon an email this week by FACE. Um, they are an organization here in Southern Virginia called uh, their, their acronym FACE stands for Foundation for American Christian Education. And I get their emails and I just happened to see one this week that was referencing William Bradford and the history of Plymouth Plantation. He's written a book um, called History of Plymouth Plantation. He records the Pilgrim's trials and tribulations in the early years of the Plymouth colony and how those challenges forged their faith, forged their faith and endurance. This story is an account that American Christians should cherish because it is the seedbed of the Christian government that grants us liberty in America today. Bradford recounts, recounts the many difficulties of the pilgrims, but explains that they value liberty and of conscience and spiritual comfort above riches or security. This model of Christian character of the pilgrim forefathers carried the seeds of Christian life, Christian character, and Christian self-government into all the activities of Plymouth, Plymouth Plantation firmly planting Christianity into our, into our American institutions and our heritage. So the question that they have as a follow-up to talk to your children about is what are what is Christian character? And some of the answers that they provide are faith and steadfastness, brotherly love and Christian care, diligence and industry. And the last quote is by um, Verna Hall, who was an author, and I think she was very instrumental with the organization FACE. She said, among the qualities which enabled the pilgrims to successfully plant Christian liberty on these shores were those qualities of individual enterprise, diligence, and industry. And we can have that next slide, Hannah. So the German poet, playwright, scientist, and statesman, Johann Goethe, I think his name, uh, lived from 1749 to 1832. And he said, let everyone sweep in front of his own door and the world will be clean. This quote's a little bit different, but when I looked him up, I actually saw that it said the world instead of the town, which is an even greater quote, I believe, because it's saying what magnitude you have to make the whole world clean. Um, and we can have that next slide. So here is a photo of a drawing artwork by this American artist who did the Saturday Saturday Evening Post drawings many times. And I just loved it because it so illustrates what Johan was just saying about if this guy sitting on his porch would get off his butt and make his yard look just like the other guys, then the whole world will look more beautiful. So it's just, um, I guess, a point to us to ask ourselves, you know, what can we do to make our neighborhood, our community, cleaner, nicer, better, or more moral, or more, uh, how can we be more involved in what's happening? Because what you do does make a difference. Look at this man here who has worked so diligently on his home. And, you know, he's is right next to the other one, but look at what a difference his efforts make. So 
just wanted to illustrate that point for you all. Um, next slide, please, Hannah. So this next slide, I love it because this um, drawing here on the left is a, it's a chromolithograph and I found it on Facebook Marketplace. And I love it because it's a beautiful mom in the nursery with her baby. And the, the artwork is called Happy Hours. And I love that because as a mom, these are my happy hours now. I don't need to go to the bar and have a drink. I need to go be in the nursery with my babies to have a happy hour. Um, and it's from, I can't remember what year it said, but it has the year printed on it. I think it's 18 something. I mean, it's quite old. Um, but I love this picture of this mom. She's probably counting toes or playing with the little baby's toesies or something. And she is probably praying for that baby, pouring into that baby, loving on that baby, and in many ways, casting vision for that baby and that baby's future. And this is just a reminder to us as moms, like the power and the influence that we have over our children and how we can plant ideas and visions and hopes and dreams into these children and they will grow and God will use that to develop them into the people that they need to become one day and to maybe change the world. We don't know, but to cast that vision and just how moms can help even their families or their husbands create those visions for their futures as well. Um, and I just think that one thing that we need to do more of is to create visions of the America that we want to see. So we could write that down. We could create a vision board. We could pray about it. We could pray it into being. Um, but there is something to speaking it as well. And the Bible says that there is power of life and death in the tongue. And so uh, when we talk about America, I feel that we should be vision casting what we want to see law and order, secure borders, restored constitution, true justice, solutions for, you know, mentally ill and crime, a revival of turning back to God, renewed work ethic, an end to all this evil, corruption, trafficking, um, drugs that we see every day. Um, so just, I guess, a reminder to us as moms to be speaking that into existence, because so often it's easy to complain about what we see, to be um, downtrodden about what we're seeing, to be upset and to, to focus on the negatives that we're seeing. But we need to think about what we want to see and then speak that and pray over that and envision that and put that vision into our families as well. Um, Hannah, we can have that next slide, please. So along those lines, let the sides of your God determine the sides of your goal. A tiny God will be a tiny goal. A big God will be a big goal and no God will be no goal. So let's use our God-given abilities as moms to pray for our families and our country, to speak life, to our kids and to speak life back into America. Let's be bold and say exactly what we want and have big goals because we do have a big God, amen, amen. All right, next slide please, Hannah. All right, this is from David Stark Jordan who was the founding president of Stanford University. He lived from 1851 to 1931 and he says, if the experiment of government by the people is to be successful, it is you and such as you who must make it so. The future of the Republic must lie in the hands of the men and women of culture and intelligence, of self-control and of self-resource, capable of taking care of themselves and of helping others. If it falls not into such hands, the Republic will have no future. The problem of life is not to make life easier, 
but to make men stronger so that no problem shall be beyond their solution. The remedy for oppression is to bring in better men who cannot be oppressed. And along those lines, Horace Greeley, I think he was an American, maybe newspaper writer or writer, said that um, a Bible believing people, a Bible reading people can never be uh, enslaved, which I, I really loved that quote. I, I butchered it, but that's a paraphrase um, because it is about liberty. God, the spirit of God is uh, the spirit of liberty. And so moving on, I'd like to just share this resource with you too. Um, this is called Promises of the Constitution. And uh, this is a great book. It's by Pamela Romney Openshaw. And these lessons here that we've highlighted actually coincide with today's lesson about the law of the harvest. The one that I would like to um, highly recommend to you is the 12.3 godless philosophies create dependence. And that talks a lot about how our school systems are teaching secularism. There is not supposed to be any religion taught, but the lack of religion has re resulted in secularism and human secularism, which uh, actually induces and encourages an entitlement mentality. So this is a great book and there's also lessons of the constitution that goes with it. This is a parent teacher guide. So they go together and you can use this in your family devotional time. Uh, the thing that I love about it is that each lesson here is only about a page, page and a half. So you can really um, do this uh, quite quickly. Uh, one each day, maybe with your family as you're doing your prayer time, or your devotional time. It's a great resource. And we can do that next slide. Also, if you all have any resources that you would like to share with us, please go ahead and pop them in the chat and we can review them at the end of class. I'm sure you all have many good, good things to share with us. So born in Ireland in 1856 and died in 1950, George Bernard Shaw was a playwright, critic, and political activist. He said, liberty means responsibility, and that is why most men dread it. And that is so true. Many, uh, uh, the natural tendency of man is that we want to be lorded over and that we want someone to, um, to be in charge of us. And so that is why Liberty takes that strength from God to be self-governed and to be accountable to God instead of a king or a tyrannical government or some other form of, of lordship, of headship other than God. And that's why even back in Bible times, the Israelites always wanted Jesus to be their king. They always wanted a king. And God was always trying to make Israel self-reliant and self-dependent and not have a king. But the people always wanted a king. And that just goes to show that this, you know, to, to reiterate the point of this quote is that, you know, people, you know, naturally dread this liberty because it means that we have to be responsible for ourselves, responsible for our families. It means that we have to work. It means that we have to put forth effort to maintain our liberty and our freedom. And that is why most men dread it. So let's not dread it. Let's embrace it because it is a gift and it is from the Lord and it is what makes us the most happy and the most uh, productive when we are being able to work uh, for ourselves and for our own uh, prosperity. So next slide is about this great book and I hope you all have it or you'll all get it at some point. Uh, this is the 5,000 year leap, um, the miracle that changed the world. 
and it says the uh, for principle seven, there are 28 principles of liberty in this book. It's a fantastic book. The proper role of government is to protect equal rights and not provide equal things. And so I'd like to go into this uh, section a little bit uh, more deeply because there's just so much great information in this book. And I, again, I just can't recommend it enough to you. Uh, it would be a great um, cottage meeting class for you or uh, an, another great one for a family devotional. It's a very easy read and um, you can get through it very, very quickly and easily. It's not, you know, difficult to read at all. Uh, so it says, in Europe, during the days of the founding, there was a popular notion of the government or that the government should take from the haves and give to the have-nots. Well, that sounds sort of familiar today, doesn't it? But the founders recognized that the moment that the government is authorized to start leveling the material possessions, possessions of the rich in order to have an equal distribution of goods, thereafter, the government has the power to deprive any of the people of their equal rights to enjoy their lives, liberties, and property. The founders' approach was that all would have an equal protection of rights and therefore ensure that we all would have the freedom to prosper. It was realized, of course, that some would prosper more than others. This is inevitable as long as there is liberty. As for the poor, the important thing was to ensure the freedom to prosper so that no one would be locked into poverty as in other countries. So in other countries, you have tiered systems or caste systems, um, feudal systems, et cetera, where people, once you were poor, that was it, the end, game over, you were always gonna be poor and same for rich and so on. But our, our founding was different in that they did not want anyone to be locked into that because they wanted to have a, a equal approach for everyone. Some people prosper because of talent, good fortune, inheritance, but most people will prosper because of hard work. Hard work, frugality, thrift, and compassion became the key words in the American work ethic. Nevertheless, the founders had a deep concern for the poor and needy, and they realized it is a mandate of God to help the poor and underprivileged as individuals. Franklin said counterproductive compassion would be, examples of that would be that which gives a drunk the means to increase his drunkenness, i.e. giving needles and chapsticks and crack pipes to the drug addicts out in San Francisco. That which breeds debilitating de dependency and weakness. Uh, we see that happening as well. That which blunts the desire or the necessity to work. So the handouts, the giving and giving and giving to where the person feels like, well, why should I work when I'm just being taken care of? That which smothers the instinct to strive and excel. And unfortunately, all of those criteria are where we are at in this country today. The founders instead promoted calculated compassion instead of counterproductive compassion. So they said these things, do not help the needy completely, merely help them to help themselves. Give the poor the satisfaction of earned achievement. Allow the poor to climb the appreciation ladder from tents to cabins, cabins to cottages, cottages to comfortable homes. And where emergency help is needed, do not prolong it to the point of becoming habitual strictly enforce the scale of fixed responsibilities. The first and foremost level of responsibility is with the individual himself. And the second level is the family, then the church, next the community, finally the county, and in a state of disaster, the state. 
Under no circumstances is the federal government to participate in charity or welfare. So this is what our vision from the founding fathers themselves was and how far we have strayed from that. Uh, we can see the next slide there, Hannah. So here are some ideas for becoming a self-reliant family, practical ways that you can try to incorporate these principles and values to your children and your families. Um, learn some new skills. Um, I'm sure that many of you have wonderful skills and just be sure to pass them on to your children. My grandmother used to make these fantastic buns um, from scratch and now nobody can get them just right because she never taught us. And so we're all scrambling, trying to recreate it. And it's horrible because we can't seem to get it right and she's no longer with us to help us along. So be sure you leave your skills with your loved ones. Um, also teaching a man to fish versus giving a man a fish. So a lot of times with our children, especially with my little ones, they'll ask me to do something for them. And then they just keep asking me to do it every time for them. And so what I've been trying to do with them is to have them attempt it before I help them. And they'll say, I can't, I don't want to, I can't, it's too hard, blah, 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 whatever excuse. And I say, why don't you just try it first? And then if you still can't do it, I will help you, but let me, you know, why don't you give it a shot? And nine times out of 10, when they give it a shot, they get it. And they're so pleased with themselves and they have such a sense of accomplishment that I would have taken away from them if I had just done it again for them. And then, you know, teaching them obviously, okay, here's how you do this, you know, so that from that then on, they now have the skill to, to move forward with it. Um, encouraging entrepreneurship. Um, there's so many ways you can do that with kiddos. Combating the entitlement attitude always being grateful, saying blessings at dinner, for example, and, and displaying gratitude yourself, um, teaching a good work ethic, by example, teaching them about money, um, creating a basic first aid kit in your home and preparing a 72 hour emergency kit and a bug out bag. Um, we just, I think we just can't belabor the point of you know, we need to be prepared in these times. There's just so much going on. And so it's always a great idea to be prepared. We'll talk a little bit more about that before the end too. Um, so try some recipes with food items that have a longer shelf life. I know a lot of the ladies in Moms for America are more into homesteading and can make their own, you know, breads and do pickling and um, have their own chickens and their own farms and gardens and all that stuff. That's wonderful. Those are great things too. Um, avoid debt as much as possible, use a budget, have a cash reserve on hand, and also begin your food storage plan is always a great idea. So I'd like to talk a little bit now about, um, well, wait, I should, I should say this too. So the founders knew that strong families build strong societies and that, and that what happens in the home is carried into the community. So if there are strong, peaceful relationships, there will be strong, peaceful society. And when families are prepared to work together to become self-reliant, our entire nation benefits. So ways that you can be self-reliant in general are knowledge, education, literacy, physical health, social and emotional well-being, managing money and resources wisely, being spiritually strong, and preparing for emergencies and unforeseen circumstances. Um, and so I also wanted to share with you, um, I think I think now we're on to my, my dad's slide, Hannah. Is that the right one? I think that's it. Yeah. Okay, great. So this is my dad. Uh, he's been married to my mom for almost 50 years. He was an entrepreneur for 30 plus years. 
He's a professional athlete and my earthly hero, and he's addenda to my children. Um, but he is the one that really instilled um, good work ethic into me. And some of the phrases that he taught me growing up that have always stuck with me are whatever it takes. That was, also, that was actually a motto for one of his businesses um, to do whatever it takes to be successful. Um, work first, play later, finish what you start. If you try hard, you'll beat 95% of your competition because so many people don't even bother to try hard anymore. Um, and that you can also be an ex expert in basically anything within five years if you really apply yourself, go back to school or read enough books or do enough practice, you can basically conquer any new um, frontier for yourself within five years. Um, so here in this first picture on the left, my oldest daughter, who back then was maybe a year and a half or so, um, he made this picnic table for her and he came over one day and it was a little bit wobbly and he just grabbed a tool and fixed it right away and like was like, oh, we need to tighten this. And that's just the kind of person he is. He's like, we're going to take care of business right now. We're going to get this done. The next picture is he um, decided one time to do corn and he has never planted anything. He, he grew up on, on a farm in the summers, but he's not a farmer by trade or knows anything about gardening or anything like that. But he just wanted to try it to see if he could do it. And sure enough, he got his little corns to come up. And by the end of the summer, he actually did have a couple of ears that, that came to fruition. So he was so pleased with himself. And I was so impressed with him, you know, just going and trying something so out of the box for him and being successful at it. And he does that quite often. Um, this next picture on the end is again, my oldest daughter when she was probably about a year, year and a half, somewhere in there. And he made her this poo cart wagon from scratch and you can't really see it, but he like literally bought all of the pieces separately and put this together. It was not a kit. He like invented this cart and it's like a wagon that you can pull her around in. And so it's like, a it looks like a log like the the base of it is like a log and he drizzled like some sort of like epoxy or adhesive thing to make it look like honey he put the little um characters on the front he even put a little stuffed animal in there for her the license plate said honey with the upside down n just like you see it in in the disney books and things so it was so cute and it came with lights i don't know if you can see it or not but it had lights on the front and the back um, and the little pool handle. And so he did that from scratch, but that's just his mentality is like, I can do this. And he wanted to do it for her and he just built it. And so I've always just looked up to him and admired him, but these are some ways that you can like, even just inspire your own family or instill these ideas into your family. It's like, you don't have to buy everything, right? We can create things. And I think that's one of the main things is like, we are such a consumer nation at this point and we look always for convenience and ease, but sometimes things that are hard work are worth it, right? And you feel the sense of satisfaction that you don't get from just going to the store and buying something. So uh, we can see the next slide there, Hannah. And um, this is a, uh, just a sampling of some YouTube channels where you can go learn new skills. And um, these three here at the top are some of my favorites. Farmhouse on Boone, I love her. She has like eight children, makes her own bread, like has a cat, like makes her own milk, her own cheese, like has a garden, like she does it all. Homeschools her kids, she does it all. Um, she's incredible. 
and so inspiring. And then Early American and Frontier Patriot, the Early American is the, the, the young woman's page. And then I think it's her fiance um, that runs Frontier Patriot. And so his is a little more on, you know, weaponry and things like that. And hers is more cooking, baking, homemaking, but the two channels together are, you know, brother, sister channels, and they're so interesting. And the seasonal homestead, I'm not sure if I ever actually watched that one. I think I just popped that in here because if you search homestead, you'll, you'll see so many different ones, but um, a great place to learn new skills. Obviously, if you haven't ever checked it out, I would highly recommend checking out um, YouTube to learn anything that you're interested in learning. Um, so drop a comment in the box if you have any YouTube channels that you love or any skills that you have that um, you'd like to share with us. And we'd be so interested to hear that. Um, also, we can move on uh, to the next slide there. Let me see how I'm doing on time. 838, okay, we're doing good. We're moving right along. <laughs> um, the next slide is about uh, my favorite book, A Miracle That Changed the World. Um, this is about principle number 27. The burden of debt is as destructive to human freedom as subjugation by conquest. I mean, that is just, what a principle. That just I mean, it's such an eye opener to read that. And I wish that I could share that with every person in America because the mentality now is I want it. I want it now. Let's get it now. I'll pay it off later. And I'm a, I'm, I was a Dave Ramsey fan for a while and just realized how destructive debt is, but so many people don't and they get trapped in this cycle where they just can't seem to get out. And it's so, um, damaging to their human freedom. And Benjamin Franklin said, think what you do when you run in debt, you give another power over your liberty. And I mean, just how true is that? And then on page 292 of this book, The 5,000 Year Leap, they're talking more about principle 27. And they say, in the case of, individu of the individual, excessive debt greatly curtails the freedom of the debtor. It benumbs his spirit. He often feels hesitant to seek a new location or a change of profession. He passes up financial opportunities, which a free man might risk. Heavy debt introduces an element of taint into a man's search for happiness. There seems to be a perpetual burden every waking hour. So the founders recognized what an ugly specter of that debt really was, and they viewed frugality as a virtue. But even when they had an emergency that compelled them to borrow, they believed in borrowing frugally, like only what you actually needed, and then paying back promptly. Um, Thomas Jefferson said, the maxim, of buying, the maxim of buying nothing without the money in our pockets to pay for it would make our country one of the happiest on earth. Experience during the war proved this, and I think every man will remember that. Under all the privations it obliged him to submit to during that period, he slept sound and awoke happier than he can do now. So I'll translate that. If you keep to, I'm not going to buy anything unless I have the money for it in my pocket, we're going to be a really happy country. And our experience during the war really showed us this because every man remembers that even though the war was so hard, we kept to that and we were able to sleep and wake happier because we didn't overspend during that time. So Proverbs 22, seven says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And um, 
Debts from splurge spending for luxurious lifestyle were particularly heinous to the founders. They knew that dire circumstances such as war or other emergency could force a nation to borrow so, uh, so they authorized the federal government to do so in Article One of the Constitution. But nevertheless, they considered it a matter of supreme importance for the survival of a free people to get out of debt and enjoy complete solvency in order to prosper. They also believed having a national debt being passed on to future generations was wrong and that it would be taxation without representation or basically a form of theft because you're taking from people that aren't even being represented that they're gonna to have to pay back your decisions for right now. Fun fact, in 1835, our national debt went down to $33,733. So of course, in their money, that's less than ours now to begin with, but that's quite a small sum if you look at the other numbers. And I believe that there's a page in the back of this book that goes through the debt, um, the debt for those beginning years, which is really interesting to check out if you have time. Uh, we can see the next slide, Hannah. We're coming into the end here, guys. Thanks for hanging with me. Um, so Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. And I'm pretty old, so I remember this. I remember these shows and the movies and all the good stuff from Davy Crockett. So what a legend he was, um, kind of a larger than life character, but a real person. Not many people, you know, connect that it's not just a movie, right? He was born in 1786 in Tennessee. At that time, it was part of North Carolina. He was a great hunter, renowned storyteller. He was made colonel of the Lawrence County Militia in Tennessee. He was elected to the state legislature in 1821, went to Congress in 1827, when he lost re-election in 1835, he went back to Texas. He got kind of ticked off with politics and said, ah, forget it, I'm, I'm out of here. And then he ended up uh, fighting and dying at the Battle of the Alamo in San Antonio in March of 1836. Uh, but this uh, link here at the top, I think we'll put it in the chat so you can access it, but it's called Davy Crockett, Not Yours to Give. Ironically, somebody texted me this exact link this week after I had already pulled it for the for the class because it's in our research resource guide. And I, I told them, I said, that is too funny because I was just looking at this. But he said, we have the right as individuals to give away as much of our own money as we please in charity. But as members of Congress, we have no right uh, so to appropriate a dollar of the public money. And there's a fantastic story in the purple version of the cottage meeting guide. I did not see it in the in the older version, but it is in this version and it's several pages long. So I won't read you the whole thing because you can go and check it out for yourself, but I'll kind of paraphrase what it is. It's sort of, the story is sort of laid out like a movie where you have um, something that happens and then it goes back and tells you how that happened. And then it takes you forward in time as well. Like Forrest Gump was kind of like that, if you recall. Um, so I love this story because it kind of covers like, like, past and future and present all at the same time. But uh, the story goes that one day in the House of Representatives, a bill was taken up uh, appropriating money for a widow who was um, a widow of a distinguished naval officer. And they had given this bill a lot of support. And so Davy Crockett gets up and he says, Mr. Speaker, I have as much respect for the memory of the deceased and as much sympathy for the sufferings of the living 
if suffering there be as many as any man in this house, but we must not permit our respect for the dead or our sympathy for a part of the living to lead us into an act of injustice to the balance of the living. I will not go into an argument to prove that Congress has no power to appropriate this money as an act of charity. Every member upon this floor knows it. We have the right as individuals to give away as much of our own money as we please in charity, but as members of Congress, we have no right to appropriate a dollar of the public money. And that's this quote right here. So eventually they take the vote and it loses. And then he, someone asked him, so why did you, you know, stand up and say all that? So then he tells the story about several years ago, uh, he was standing on the steps of the Capitol with some other members of Congress and they saw that there was homes in Georgetown burning. So they jump in a, in a hack or a carriage as fast as they can. They drive over and they see that all these homes were, were burnt. People had lost their, um, their possessions. They were out in the cold. Women and children were suffering. And so the very next morning, they pushed this bill through to appropriate $20,000 for relief of these people. They put aside all other business to make sure that this got done. And then he says the next summer, when it became time to, to think about reelection, he went around to talk to the people of his district. And he comes upon this one fellow and he says, well, friend, I am one of those unfortunate beings called candidates. And, and the guy stops him and cuts him off. He's like, yes, I know you. You're Colonel Crockett. I have seen you once before and voted for you the last time you were elected. I suppose you are now electioneering but you had better not waste your time or mine. I shall not vote for you again. And so he's like taken back, like, what did I do? And he says, well, it's really not worthwhile to waste the time or the words upon it because it can't be fixed at this time. But essentially your understanding of the constitution and mine are different because uh, you voted against, uh, against the constitution outside of your uh, purview. And David Crockett's like, I don't recall doing that. And he says back to him, no, Colonel, there's no mistake, though I live here in the backwoods and seldom go from home, I take the papers from Washington and read very carefully all the proceedings of Congress. My papers say that last winter you voted for a bill to appropriate $20,000 to some sufferers by a fire in Georgetown. Is that true? And he says, well, yeah, you got me there. That is true. And he says, well, it's not the amount, Colonel, that I complain of, it's the principle. Because you're like, yeah, anybody would have given that amount of money, right? Like these people were in trouble. And he says, but it's not the amount that I'm complaining about, it's the principle. And also, how often do we hear that today, that argument of the amount, right, versus the principle of the matter in the first place? So he says, um, he basically gives him this long explanation of why he was outside of his realm. And he says, you will very easily perceive what a wide door this would open for fraud and corruption and favoritism on the one hand and for the robbing of people on the other. No, Colonel, Congress has no right to give charity. And so he says, so you see, you violated the constant Constitution, what I consider a vital point. It's a precedent brought with danger to this country. And he kind of just lets him have it, right? So then he's like, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm so sorry. I would never have done this if I had realized, you know, what you're saying is so true. And he says, well, like, what can I do to like win your vote back? And how can I fix this? And he says, well, if you go around the district and you tell people about this vote and that you are satisfied it was wrong, I will not only vote for you, but I will do what I can to help keep down the opposition and perhaps I may exert a little influence in this way. And so he finds out that this guy's name is Hor Horatio Bunce. And he said, well, I've never, 
I, I've never seen you before, but uh, even though you've seen me, but I know you well, and I'm glad that I've met you and proud that I uh, may hope to have you for my friend. And he says later to this person telling, asking him about it, it was the luckiest hits of my life that I met him. He mingled little with the public, but was widely known for his remarkable intelligence and incorruptible integrity. And so he's like, I hit the jackpot now that I've kind of won this guy back over. And so he says, you know, I, I have so much respect for him. I uh, reverence him. I love him. I go to visit him two or three times a year. And I will tell you that if everyone who professes to be a Christian lived and acted and enjoyed it as he does, the religion of Christ would take the world by storm. And so Davy Crockett does his end of the deal. He goes around and he tells everyone he was wrong. And then he shares the end of the story. So this brings us all the way back up to the, to the end, right? And he tells them as he's giving these speeches around, he says, there is one thing now to which I will call your attention. You remember that I proposed to give a week's pay. This was in the beginning. He had said, instead of giving this widow um, the, the money that they were asking for, let's all just give her a week's pay and we'll have even more than the bill is even asking for. Um, but they said, he says, there are many in the house that are wealthy men, men who think nothing of spending a week's pay or a dozen of them for a dinner or a wine party when they have something to accomplish by it. But some of those same men made beautiful speeches upon the great debt of gratitude, which the country owed the deceased, a debt which could not be paid by money anyway, um, and the insignificance and worthlessness of money, particularly so insignificant a sum as $10,000 when weighted against the honor of the nation. Yet not one of them responded to my proposition of giving, of giving one week's pay to the, to the widow. Money with them is nothing but trash when it has come out of the people, but it is the one great thing for which most of them are striving, and many of them sacrifice honor, integrity, and justice to obtain it. And when I read that, I could not help but think of the times that we live in now and how, as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun, and this is the same exact thing that goes on uh, right now in our country. But isn't it wonderful that Davy Crockett learned the lesson and said no to giving the money to, to the widow. So he was, uh, he learned his lesson there about the constitution. And I, I, I just love that whole story. And I think everyone should hear it and read it and maybe send it to your congressman because I'm sure they are unaware that they are also breaking the constitution when they do things like that. So we can have the next slide, Hannah. We're gonna wrap up here, um, coming here to the close. Uh, we just have some, I believe we just have some yeah, resources here. I did want to share this one as well. This is called A Little House Picture Book Treasury. I bought this for my girls. I love it. It's um, Little House on the Prairie, but it's got big, big pictures for the kiddos. And I was so struck by this one story here where literally says that Paul was off hunting and he comes home and he's happy because he met another neighbor and then you know what they do? They invite him over and then him and the neighbor build each other's houses. I mean, I just, I love this story. And when you just think about what our forefathers have gone through to create this country and, and the bravery and courage and the manliness that it takes to take your family out West and go build each other's log cabins. It's just, you know, it just, it just gets you right. Cause it's so, America, like as we want it to be, right? 
Um, so that's one of the books on here on the list. This other one on the left is How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It. My husband bought this book to help us prepare. It's a great book. I highly recommend. And then I also just bought this one, which I'm hoping to read as a summer read. This is called The Neighborhood. And it's about a fictional neighborhood that, that would be essentially right here, right outside of, of DC in Northern Virginia. And I haven't read it yet, but I'm super excited because it's about people that come into the neighborhood and are doing, you know, bad things. And one of the, uh, one of the people that lives in one of the houses fights back. And so I want to try to read this and get kind of, I guess, uh, ideas for how to defend my home should the case arise. Um, we can see the next slide, which has a couple of videos in it for you to look at, I believe. Is that this line? I think so. Yep. Redistribution of Wealth by Milton Friedman. That's a great one. Uh, developing Self-Reliance. That's a cute one from the 1950s, like black and white. And it's teaching this young man how to be self-reliant. Super cute. Um, and then we can wrap up the uh, with the next slide. And uh, this is a... A quote here by Thomas Paine. You guys know it. These are the times the tri men's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we attain too cheap we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. So just a beautiful encouragement to us all to continue to preach, as Julene says, the gospel of freedom and to keep fighting the good fight as we stay anchored in hope and look to God, not government for solutions. As George Washington said, our cause is noble. It is the cause of mankind. And I wanted to conclude, next slide please, with a few ideas of things that you can do to continue on with Moms for America. You've come through all these lessons, you've learned so much, and if you enjoyed this college meeting series, imagine how much more impactful it would be if you were meeting in person with friends, neighbors, or even family members. What an amazing opportunity to begin to share the wealth of information, inspiration, and ideas with others in your communities. I'd highly recommend starting a group or joining one near you. So please pray about that. Think about that. Reach out to us. Or if you know someone else that might be interested, please get them plugged in. Now is the time we cannot sit on our laurels in our homes anymore. We must uh, begin the fight to take back our country and restore it and restore our constitution. You can learn more about that in our Healing of America series. Um, and so these are some other ideas for you. Start that cottage meeting, sign up for our mom men memo, check out our online store so you can get some great gear that says raising patriots or patriot dad, or um, even for your kids, patriotic kid. We're gonna be wearing those on the 4th of July. Um, also, share with us your 4th of July plans. Drop those in the chat if you haven't already. Um, text us for uh, sign up for the text updates. You can go online to our website and sign the Declaration of Mothers. And then you can also sign up for classes and review recordings at our website as well. So the last slide, Hannah, 
Finally, as I said before, I was going to share my contact information with you. If you would like to be added to our Patriots Digest, please send me an email at that VAMFA at momsforamerica.net. Uh, it's my goal to have at least one cottage meeting in every one of our 95 counties here in Virginia. We also have about 35 to 38 um, districts that are not counties, but they're their own ordinances as well. So I'd love to eventually separate those out as well. But for now, I'm, I'm focusing on counties. Um, we have a, Moms, a Virginia Moms for America Facebook page. You can follow us. I have a Twitter account, an Instagram account as well. So please follow along and support it and share it um, if you would. I would really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, if you know anyone in Virginia, please send them my way. Thank you all so much for your time today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the whole series. Thanks to Julene and Hannah and all the Moms for America team for making such a great course and um, putting it all together every week, uh, these last 12 weeks. And I'll now open up the floor and uh, hand it back to Hannah uh, for a discussion time.